We will be in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, in just a few moments. If you want to turn there, we'll be there, Matthew, chapter 5. How many people here um, are or have ever been afraid of the dark? Anybody here afraid of the dark ever? All right. Most of us, when we're, at least when we're younger, had some fear of the dark. Well, if you are, you're, you're not alone. Uh, it's estimated that around 11% of adults in the U.S. are afraid of the dark. Uh, this is known by the scientific community as nyctophobia or sometimes scotophobia. Uh, it's not necessarily a, a fear of the darkness that drives this, but it's a fear of what is hidden in the darkness that we're afraid of. I don't know if you've ever been to a place without electricity. I know so many people lost electricity this summer after some storms. Uh, but for me, uh, whether on a camping trip or on a missions trip in a foreign country, when uh, the lights go out, it can get really, really dark. Uh, for me, again, it was, <clears throat> this was when I was in Haiti, and as well as when I was on the islands in Panama. And uh, when the generator's running, the lights are on, everything's fine. You can see all the creatures that might be hidden in the corners. And then time goes out to go to bed, and the generators turn off, and the lights go out. And it gets really, really dark. So that you can't see the spiders. I know for my family, when we travel to, uh, to New York, where my, uh, my in-laws live, um, they live in rural western New York State. Rural, rural New York State. Uh, away from the city lights. Um, and it gets so dark that on, on the, they have one, one light on the front porch of the house. And there's a line when, when, when at nighttime and, the, and, the, and the, it's cloudy so you don't have any light from the moon or anything. And um, there's a line in the lawn where the, where the light is and when the darkness Starts and you can walk up to that line and put your hand from the light into the dark and you can't even see your hand in front of your face and it gets really really dark. Um, and for us sometimes, uh, when it's time to take our dog out the one last time before bed, no one wants to do it um, because they're they're a bear up there and uh, we sometimes we'll hear the the coyotes howling. And uh, you're out there, and it's windy, and in the darkness, you just don't know what's out there. And so no one ever wanted that job. Um, because when you went outside, it was so dark that you felt really uncomfortable not knowing what was out there. I know back in the, uh, the late 80s, which sounds like a long time ago now, um, Pastor Walker was my youth pastor. That's how old he is. Um, I was in high school at that time, and I, I, I was a maintenance worker, and we were both at our church's camp back then called Rainbow Ranch before Rainbow had other connotations. Um, but one night, we lost power at the camp, and we had 50 or 60 kids that were stinky and needed shower in the morning, and without power, that meant no water from the well. And uh, so we were kind of desperate, not knowing what, quite what to do, and uh, it, it was a really, really dark dark night. And uh, the neighbor, we had one neighbor across the street, because it was, this was in rural Wisconsin, uh, out in the boonies. Um, 
and we had one, one neighbor that lived directly across the street. Uh, I don't remember his name. I think we'll call him Carl. Uh, and Carl was an unusual, unusual man. And um, I know I've told this story uh, years ago, uh, but Carl had three Doberman pincers. And I can remember a couple of the names because I would hear him yell at them um, when they would disobey. And uh, he, one was name was Bear, another one name was Thor, and I forget the name of the third, but these were not friendly dogs. These were fast, mean, hungry dogs that uh, he often kept chained up in the front to keep them from running across the road um, at the kids at the camp. Um, but that night we, we were desperate because we, the, the power was out. We didn't know if he would have any clue of what we could do. And so we decided we should go over and, and talk to Carl and find out if he had any idea of what, um, wh when the power was going to come back on or if he, if he had power or not or what we could do. And so we started to go across the road together. And we, we didn't want to use a flashlight because we might wake the dogs. And so we're going across in the dark and it's windy and we can't see anything. And we're going across, we're going towards the front door and we get closer and, and closer. And all of a sudden I hear the rattling of a chain and I said, Pastor Walker, did you hear that? Lance, did you hear that? And, and all I hear is his footsteps running back to the camp <laughs> because he was afraid. Because in the dark we didn't know what, what was there. And um, it was a very fearful night because of, of the dark. But many, many people fear the dark. And um, the world was a very dark place in Jesus' lifetime. In Roman culture, abortion was commonplace. Um, babies at any age could be abandoned, put out to the garbage. Um, sexual sins of every kind were common and accepted. Uh, the worship of the emperor and idols uh, was even enforced by society. Uh, there, were, there were the very rich people, and then there were the very poor people, but the majority of the people were very poor, and the poor suffered terribly and were abused by the rich. And slavery was very common. And abuse of every kind was, uh, it took place, and it was, in fact, accepted. And between nations, there was, there was no ruling United Nations con to control abuses of, of conquered people. Uh, the brutality of nations that conquered other nations is almost too gruesome to talk about in, in public. And in the Jewish culture, the religious powerfully uh, people were respected, but it was widely known that um, the Pharisees focused more on their outward appearance and their outward actions, but as Jesus said, they were inside, they were full of dead man's bones. And today, our world is also, has been, and, and is a very dark place. Uh, for many, their lives are afflicted by addiction. Uh, drug and alcohol and other addictions that end up ruining families. Fathers lose jobs and, and families' lives are, are terribly affected. Uh, abortion is common. Millions of unborn babies have been killed in the U.S. alone. Sex trafficking. Uh, it's estimated that internationally there are between 20 million and 40 million people in modern slavery today. Estimated that 71% of those are women and girls while men and boys account for about 29% of those that are enslaved in sex trafficking. Uh, we have their suicide, homelessness, uh, disease, wars, death, destruction. A world without Jesus keeps getting darker and darker. 
And in the midst of all this darkness, both, both in Jesus' day as well as in ours today, um, he said to his followers both then and now, as we see in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, he says to, to his, all of his followers, you are the light of the world. So again, we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. And in Matthew 5, Jesus had, had begun his public ministry. He'd, up to this point, he had performed many miracles. He had been casting out demons. He had healed sick people, healed a leopard, a paralyzed man, um, the man with a withered hand. He had performed all these incredible miracles. So as, as you can imagine, news of his miraculous healings and, and um, things had spread quickly, and the number of people following him grew and grew and grew. And as he is quickly approaching the height of his public ministry, his public following, the beginning of chapter 5 tells us that he sees the crowds and goes up to a mountainside, hillside, and sits down to teach them. Now this crowd would have been a mixed crowd. Uh, those that were committed followers of Jesus as well as those that were just fascinated, fascinated by his miracles and wanted to see more. Uh, nevertheless, Jesus sits down to teach them, as was common for a teacher to do, and begins what is famous, famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. And this message turned really upside down people's understanding of what it meant to please God. Uh, Jesus over and over again emphasized that it's not the externals that we do, but rather uh, that pleases God, but rather the condition of our heart while doing those things that matters. And then he goes, he then tells his followers that they are the salt of the earth before getting to our passage. In verses 14 to 60, if you'd follow along as I read that, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, throughout the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of John, who repeatedly contrasts light and darkness, Jesus is, is referred to as the light. And I encourage you, if you have time this week and you're looking for something to study, look, look through the book of John and all the times that Jesus is referred to as the light of the world. And we see physically in Matthew 17, verse 2, at the Mount of Transfiguration, tells us that Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothing became bright as the light. In other words, light emanated physically from him and showed that there was, he was complete light. There was no darkness in him at all. Top to bottom, this is all that Jesus was, was light. And we, but we see throughout the Gospels that Jesus was light. Spiritually, he was light. Socially, relationally, Jesus was light. We see that he cast light into the darkest places of society. He, he spent time with people that no one else would dare spend time with in his, his day. He spent time with robbers, with those that were demon-possessed. He, he met with prostitutes and tax collectors to the point of being known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners, which was a derogatory term used of him. Jesus shined light into the darkness of racial barriers. He, he ministered to Samaritans, who Jews called the half-breeds. They would have nothing to do with those Samaritans. But Jesus ministered to them. Jesus shined light into the darkness of social barriers. 
he actually spent time with women, which as a rabbi was almost unheard of. Jesus shined light into the darkness of the socioeconomic barriers. Jesus spent time with the poorest of the poor, those that were disregarded by society, those that were looked down upon, those that assumed that there was sin in their life because of their, their uh, financial condition. And Jesus even shined light into the darkness of religious barriers and spent time with those considered unclean and even let them touch him. And all that he did and all that he said, Jesus was the light of the world. So then we come to our passage. How is it then with Jesus being the light of the world and all that he did that Jesus can say to his disciples and to us today that you, that we, are the light of the world. Well, we see again in verse 14, it says, you are the light of the world, talking to his followers, and again to us today. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light it on a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. To the degree that we are like Jesus, we, as his followers who follow his teaching and strive to live and love just like he did, to the extent that we are like him, we are light just like him. And Jesus describes what a life that shines the light looks like prior to that in, in verses 3 through 12, known as the Beatitudes. Notice all the, the inner qualities that mark a person of light. They're poor in spirit, they mourn, they hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're merciful, they're pure in heart, peacemakers. All qualities that that we should seek to have. And many times in missions or in evangelism and sharing the gospel, what's, what's emphasized is what you say and what you do. But here we see that it starts with who you are. The light of the gospel shines through us because of who we are, what is, what is in our hearts, what moves us, what motivates us in our thinking. And so Jesus gives two illustrations of, of believers being light. The first is, of a city on a hill. I don't know if you've ever flown on a night when the sky is clear, um, but I have you know, just recently, and it's amazing to look out the window of your plane, and you'll see all the darkness, and then you'll see coming from a great distance, you'll see the, the light of a city, and it gets closer and closer and closer. And these planes I looked up fly between six and seven miles up, up in the sky, and yet that's how much the city lights up the darkness around them, that we can see it from six to seven miles away. But then I went online, and I encourage you to do this if you have time, to look online at the pictures from the International Space Station. This orbits at an average of 254 miles above the Earth. And even at that incredible distance, you look down at the pictures of the Earth, whether it's the U.S., I tell you, from, from New York City down to Philly, it's one big light strip. But it's amazing to look down that at 254 miles away from the surface of the earth, the lights from the city shine into the darkness. Jesus says that not at 254 miles away, but face to face with our neighbor, with our coworkers, with our family members, we are to be light. Note also that he says a city on a hill can't be hidden. 
when we are living and loving and serving just like Jesus, the testimony of our words and our actions will shine through and people will see it. The second illustration he gives that Jesus gives is of a lamp. Um, it would have been a, a terracotta lamp in those days that would have been filled with oil and they would fill it, light it, and they would put it up high on a stand so that it would give light to the entire, entire room. And he says that the, you know, the purpose of a lamp is to light up, provide light for the room. And he says it, it would be ridiculous to think of lighting that lamp and then covering it with a basket, right? It defeats the purpose. But unfortunately, unfortunately, though, that's exactly what some Christians do today. You know, it's, it's, it's not politically correct or socially acceptable to talk about Jesus. Uh, those of you that work in the workplace, you, you know this very well. While every other group is coming out of the closet, uh, many Christians are being pushed into the closet. And in our society, you, you can celebrate all kinds of holidays. You can celebrate New Year's Day and Valentine's Day and St. Patrick's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day. You can even ground, celebrate Groundhog Day. But when it comes time to Christmas or Easter, those holidays that have to do about Jesus, uh, the workplace doesn't want us talking about those holidays or Jesus. And that's the world that we live in. You say, they say, you say what you want for now inside your church building, but when you talk about Jesus or show your Christian beliefs outside your church, you risk being ostracized, uh, getting in trouble, Sim- simply letting, them, letting someone know that you'll be praying for them or trying to share the gospel could jeopardize your job or at least the promotion or the raise that you're hoping to get. And because of this, it causes many Christians to live in fear. And so, because of that, many Christians keep their light to themselves. Instead of being a city on a hill, they're more of a flashlight in a pocket. And we shouldn't be afraid to shine the light of Jesus wherever we are, but we realize that it begins with walking rightly before God. Uh, We can't be a light for Jesus when we don't do our job very well. Our our light for Jesus doesn't shine very bright when when we're a lazy worker, Uh, People won't ask to hear about our Jesus if we're constantly making excuses for why our work isn't done. And we can't be a light for Jesus when we're constantly showing up late for work. But when we're a dependable, hardworking co-worker who cares deeply about the needs of everyone we spend time with, people may want to know about our Jesus. People may ask what's different about us when, when we not only get our work done on time, but we also give cards and show up to people's funerals of our, our co-workers who've lost loved ones. Uh, people will be more open to come to perhaps a church activity when, when we show up early and we stay late to make sure that our work gets done. And of course, this has to begin at home. Our, our home should be where our light shines the brightest, shouldn't it? Our spouse ought to love the fact that we know Jesus because of the excellent husband or wife that he has helped us to be. Our, our children should want to know more about Jesus. They should want to be more involved in church ministry and look forward to having a, a Christian family just like the one that they're in because, that we, because we're shining our light brightly at home. But sadly, sometimes... The opposite happens. 
kids often won't come out and say it, but as soon as they get old enough and have a chance to make some decisions for themselves, they run away from the God and the, the church of their parents. Uh, they want nothing to do with their parents' religion because dad didn't shine his light very bright at home. Uh, in fact, mom and dad's lights were really only bright at church. Now, the deacons and the pastors have the blessing of hearing stories and testimonies of when mothers and fathers uh, are light. Uh, it's so encouraging to hear the testimonies of those who come, come from membership here, uh, to hear how a man gets saved because of a co-worker shared Jesus with him, and because that man went home and shined his light brightly at home, his wife decided to come to church, and then she got saved, and because the man, the husband and the wife got saved, and the children uh, also uh, one by one got saved. Why? Because the dad shined his light brightly at home. Or we'll hear of a, a wife who's living out 1 Corinthians 7, 13, living with an unbelieving husband, and because she shines her light brightly before her unbelieving husband, he's more apt to, to attend church and hear the, the good news of the gospel. Or we've heard the testimony of children who were saved at Faith Christian School through the bright light of a teacher and how the eternal destiny of a whole family was changed because a teacher shined the light brightly and the child got saved and eventually the parents got saved. These are the kinds of testimonies that we get to, we've gotten to hear over the years and it's always such a blessing and encouragement to hear each one of those. So Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world and continues in verse 16 and says, in, in the same way, in other words, just like a city on a hill that's seen by everyone around, and just like a lampstand that provides light for everyone around, verse 16 he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, this follows the principle that who you are determines what you do. Who you are determines what you do. Verses 14 and 15 show that we are light. And now in verse 16 we see because we are light, we do good works. Light is what we do. Jesus told his followers and us today to let our light shine before others. So that, that's a purpose clause. So that, why do we let our light shine? Jesus said we, we let our light shine so that they might think more highly of us. No so that we might get that promotion at work, so that they might let us get our way. No, we are to let our light shine so that others may see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. Now wait, are you saying that, that we're saved by what we do? No, not at all. Jesus is saying that we do good works because of our relationship with him, not in order to have a relationship with him. So then why do we have to do good works? Why is it important that others see them. Isn't it enough to read my Bible, pray, and, and go to church and be a, a good Christian in my home? Well, people need to see our good works because they can't see our faith. We don't glow or shine bright physically like Jesus did when he was transfigured. How we live our lives give, gives evidence of our relationship with Jesus by what we do for others, by how we react during difficult times, what we say when things are good as well as what we say when things are bad. 
Ephesians 3.17 says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ dwells in us through faith. People can't see into our hearts. What they can observe is our actions, what we do and what we say. And one of the main ways that they see our faith is through our works. James 2, 14 through 19 reminds us of that. It says, what, is, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poor, poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See, good works makes our faith in Jesus attractive. People are attracted to light. People are attracted to people that are kind and, and do good things. As, as many of you know, in the last four months, our, our family has had two deaths. Uh, Chris's mom uh, back in July and, and, and more recently, um, my brother's wife. And uh, I had the privilege of being there for the memorial service and then to spend the week with him afterwards and uh, to be there to hear the phone calls, uh, to see the visits from the church members, uh, the meals that they dropped off, especially the meals, um, to see the love of, of Jesus showing through brightly through my brother's church was attractive. It was impressive. And see, when you do something for someone, people, people don't walk away. When you do something kind for them and do, do something they don't walk away and talk about how much you know. They don't talk about what a nice car you drive. When you do, when you do good works for them, they don't walk away, walk away and, and talk about how sharp your clothes look or how much hair you have, if you have any. No, they, they comment about what a great person you are or how kind or how caring you are because of what you've done. Uh, Jesus said to let your light shine before others. It's the Greek word prosopon. I find it interesting in the book of Matthew that records um, Jesus talking about doing works before men, that this is the only time that it's commanded in a positive way. Every other time, people are warned against it. Matthew 6.1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Matthew 6.5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may seem, be seen by others. Matthew 6, 16, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fa fasting may be seen by others. Matthew 6, 18, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father. Matthew 23, 5, spoken of the Pharisees, their deeds, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Always in a negative way, don't be seen of others, except in our passage here, Matthew 5. This instant, is the only time it's commanded to let others see your good works because the gospel with your lips should be backed up by the gospel of your works. Now, I failed to mention before that when Jesus is addressing the crowd, the you is plural. He's talking to the people individually, but he's also addressing them plural as, as a group. Jesus was... Um, addressing his followers as, as a group. And so we as a church, we should be a bright light in Hamilton and in the Trenton area. We, we do that individually with people that only you and I know and come in contact with, as well as together as, as a church. 
Uh, when the deacons use the funds to help someone outside of our church ministry, to help and bless them with just meeting, with just me- meeting a basic need, we shine bright. When we give to provide gifts for children that we'll probably never meet in Panama and South American countries, our church shines bright. When, when we go down and do work at a woman's home in, in Trenton to help just make it look nicer, it makes Jesus and our church shine bright. When we pay thousands of dollars for a, a nice shower trailer and go down three times a week to serve homeless people, our church shines bright. We do good works to individually and together as a church community. And what happens? Again, in verse 16, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They see us, not just what we say, but also what we do, and the result of it is that God gets the glory. See, our, our world is a very dark place. And I feel like it's, it feels like it's getting darker all the time. We need to make sure that our lives match what we say that, so that our lives shine the light of Jesus brightly in our home, in our church, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to all those that we come in contact so that God receives the glory. Let's pray together and ask God to help us do just that. Father, we're thankful for the example of Jesus who, in the midst of a dark, dark world, lived and loved and served and shined so brightly. And we recognize that today our world needs the light of Jesus as, as much as any other time. And so we ask for your help as, as us as individuals go about our daily lives, as we rub shoulders with those that don't know Jesus. Let us be living close to you, loving you, first of all, in our hearts, so that every time we speak the word, and when we have opportunities to do good works for people, that they might see you and you might receive the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.